I think the most important thing for other cities to to consider is how inclusive are they being in terms of the process. It really is incredibly important to have a broad and diverse stakeholder group and to reach out to every corner of the community to get their input. Late last year, St. Louis, Missouri became one of a few cities with a commitment to 100% renewable energy to have formally identified several pathways to achieving its ambitious goal. The most important element in their progress thus far has been an inclusive process involving a wide range of community stakeholders. In June 2020, Andy Knott of Sierra Club's Beyond Coal Campaign and Reverend Roderick Burton of the New Northside Missionary Baptist Church joined me to talk about how St. Louis made a goal and a plan to reach 100% renewable energy. I'm John Farrell, Director of the Energy Democracy Initiative at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and this is our special Voices of 100 series focused on local leaders and their pursuit of 100% renewable energy. It's all part of Local Energy Rules, a bi-weekly podcast sharing powerful stories about local renewable energy. Andy and Reverend Burton, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. So I was hoping that we could just take a minute for you, to, two of you to kind of introduce yourselves, maybe tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, but also then kind of what motivated you to work on renewable energy issues around the city's 100% renewable energy commitment and how you got involved. And why don't we start with you, Reverend Burton? Yeah, hi, my name is Roger Burton, and I pastor uh, New Northside Missionary Baptist Church, uh, 116-year-old African-American congregation in the city of St. Louis, but it also straddles St. Louis County. So we're unique in that way. I got into this, been pastoring the church for about a little over seven years. And before that, I was interim pastor for 15 months. And during that time, as I thought about the, the future generations, the trend is that there'd be less members, less people to support the work that this church has done. I thought, you know, what would be a great thing to propose should I become the pastor? And I, and I thought about the church having solar panels. And through the experience of the Sierra Club of Eastern Missouri, uh, reached out to us, and uh, they educated us, and they sort of brought us in on other issues, and we became a partner with them. And through that partnership, myself and Andy and a few others traveled to Miami, where the Sierra Club was presenting their Ready for 100 campaign, and they explained that the goals and the purposes were to get as many cities to commit to 100% clean energy by 2035, I believe. And so we were part of the contingent to lobby St. Louis. And through that lobbying, we were successful. And myself and Andy ended up being on the committee commission to shape the rules and how is that going to be carried out, this plan, to make a plan for the city to carry out the goal that turned out to be resolution uh, 130. Oh, boy. I, Andy probably know the exact resolution, but we were then part of a commission to reach out and hear from the community, give voices of all the community to hear how would that be carried out. Because just as the goal for our, our planet survival is to transition, and then there's uh, various talks of, of green, green new deals, and as you transit to green energy, if the transition is not inclusive, it can be as exclusive and as, you know, a lot of the problems with the old energies 
not just the actual problem of it heating up, changing the climate, but the problems of power and control as well as labor fights, those could be part of the new green energy sector. What was encouraging was that the Sierra Club, in addition to pushing for this campaign, they also were training and equipping partners so that we could advocate for an inclusive implementation of a green future that's necessary for the survival of our planet and our, and our country. That's great. Really great, too, to hear kind of your personal path around clean energy and how that integrated into your work around the 100% campaign. Andy, could you share a little bit about how you came into this work and how you got connected into the 100% campaign? Sure. So I work for the Sierra Club's Beyond Coal campaign, and our goal is to eliminate the destructive burning of coal and its impacts in the country. And for me, this has always been about a public health issue. Unfortunately, here in St. Louis, our utility, Ameren, is very dependent on burning coal. Last year, 63% of our electricity came from the burning of coal. And Ameren has some of the largest polluters in the country in terms of its coal fleet. The Labadee coal plant is the fourth largest source of carbon pollution in the country, which contributes to our climate crisis. It also is the largest, one of the largest sources of sulfur pollution in the country. And last year, a federal judge found that Ameren had not only violated the Clean Air Act, but ordered Ameren to install pollution controls at its Rush Island plant, and that the judge had, had cited evidence that that plant had contributed to roughly 800 premature deaths over a nine-year period. Through these serious health impacts, it's also an environmental justice issue, and I think it was in 2018 that, this, that the city of St. Louis issued a report that found that it was an equity indicators report, and it found that black children were 10 times more likely to visit the emergency room for asthma than white children. So these, these have real serious impacts on, on people in the city. So we were looking to approach the city on how to move to 100% clean energy. Sierra Club had a conversation with Lewis Reed, the president of the St. Louis Board of Aldermen, he was very interested and excited in taking up this cause and sponsored the resolution that was adopted in the fall of 2017 to start this process. So the city you know, ultimately made its commitment in 2018 to achieve the 100% renewable energy target and also set up a process to create a plan for getting to that goal, which I think was really admirable. We have a lot of cities who have made this commitment and are kind of lost. Uh, we actually just worked with some students from the University of Michigan. It's a graduate program there, and they did a survey of cities that had made 100% renewable energy commitments that we recently worked with them to publish and found that a lot of cities are really unsure of how to proceed. But St. Louis issued in, in October of last year a detailed report called The Pathways to 100% Clean Energy which I think is great in, in that it both maps out for St. Louis, but I think could be used by a lot of other cities. Why don't we start with you, Andy? Were, were you involved in developing the plan? It sounds like both you and Reverend Burton were kind of involved in this process, and did it end up reflecting the goals that were set out in the city resolution to engage a broad range of stakeholders? Yeah, yes, it did. I, I was on the advisory board, as was Reverend Burton and several other leaders of different organizations in the region, 
And I was also on the technical committee that developed the pathways report. And Reverend Burton was on the, the, the public engagement committee, so he can speak more to that. But yeah, the advisory board itself was broad and diverse. There were you know, representatives from the faith community, like Reverend Burton, social justice organizations, the business community. We had solar and energy efficiency experts, academia, health experts, and local government. So so the resolution stated that there would be an advisory process to develop this plan and it would reach out and, and engage a broad, diverse group of folks. And I believe that the, the process did that. I, I think that, again, President Reed of the Board of Aldermen did a great job in leading this effort. Robert Burton, I'm interested in hearing from you, given that you were involved in the engagement piece. Do you feel like it was done in a way that really got the, got to the ideas and opinions of a lot, a broad range of stakeholders and residents in St. Louis? And I guess even more importantly, do you feel like it's a process that other cities should consider using in terms of evaluating how they get to their 100% renewable energy goals? Yeah, sure. I, I was very pleased with the effort. You know, a lot of times you can't necessarily control people's interests, but Great efforts, great strides were made to make sure that in different parts of the city and different voices that had typically not, you know, you don't hear from, that input was made or outreach was made to get their input. And so we we did a a study, we did a series of town halls, informational type meetings in public places in, in the different demographics of the city. And so... We did follow some of the plans that other cities have made. I think it was Atlanta. We took a look at how they did, and we tried to follow and emulate and then also tailor for our community because when you look at other places that, that's specific to their place, you're always going to have to tailor it uh, to your context. So I believe they made, uh, we made, you know, best good faith efforts on trying to make sure as many people got their input. You know, they were out at the zoo. They were at the planetarium. They were at but they were all over. We were all over trying to get as much input from input from citizens on this process, and and many just to inform them what the process was. Sometimes you have to tell people what something is before they get their input. You know, what am I getting my input on? So that that was part of it too, was to educate people, and then also to give them an opportunity to put in their input. So yeah, I think we did set out a model that others can replicate and tailor for their own context. You know, I saw. What I thought were some really interesting ideas in the plan, this Pathways report, whether it was rooftop solar for city buildings, I saw reference to the pay-as-you-save model for financing clean energy projects. We sometimes refer to that as inclusive energy financing because it helps break down some financial barriers folks have. There was also mention of the city lobbying state regulators and legislators for better statewide clean energy policy. Do you think there's anything the city is already doing? I mean, obviously, we've got a coronavirus epidemic. We now are enmeshed in protests over the death of George Floyd and kind of the ongoing issues with police brutality. So it's maybe hard to sort of go back to this background issue of the climate crisis. But is there anything the city's already doing around the clean energy goal that you think is worth sharing about, particularly anything that's reflecting on this interest in reducing local pollution and, and improving health outcomes? And you want to take that? Yeah, I'll, I'll take a crack at that. So the city of St. Louis has been a leader on these issues for a long time. The city's had a sustainability plan for several years. And in fact, this 
this clean energy plan was meant to supplement that. So some of the things that have been happening in recent years sort of overlap with the, the clean energy plan. For example, in 2017, the city adopted a building energy awareness ordinance that required property owners that had buildings larger than 50,000 square feet to report their annual energy use to the city. So this was a, a way of getting large, large property owners to be more aware of how much energy they were using. It didn't require anything to be done other than reporting that. And then in 2018, the St. Louis Board of Aldermen adopted the most up-to-date building codes for energy efficiency. It's called the 2018 International Energy Conservation Code. That was adopted in July of 2018, becoming one of the first uh, major cities to do so. That ordinance estimates that it would make new buildings, uh, new homes, uh, 27% more energy efficient, and the homeowners would save $580 per year on their energy bills. And then just this spring, the St. Louis Board of Aldermen also adopted, and, and this was, uh, I should, should mention the mayor, the Mayor Cruzen has also uh, supported these efforts. Uh, she's been a, a leader and signed on to Paris Climate Agreement pledges and clean energy pledges. And so this, this latest ordinance that was adopted by the board and signed by the, the mayor was a building energy performance standard. Again, it applies to large buildings of 50,000 square feet or more, and this will set up uh, energy performance targets for these buildings that they will have to meet over the next several years to make existing buildings more energy efficient. That's terrific. Reverend Burton, is there anything that you wanted to add around things that the city is already doing? I would say, you know, Andy's pretty much will hit most of those things. But I think what's very important is the step that they took in putting the committee together to shape about what the future is going to look like. And then also kind of making this commitment to push for clean energy by a specific date and then outlining the plan and then having an inclusive group to be about implementing the plan. And then also making sure that the intentionality is that, as I said, again, as we go forward, it's as inclusive as possible. And that the people who have their input on how this is going to happen, how it's going to carry out, I believe they're going to continue to keep their eye on the ball with partners. And Missouri has a good, strong set of partners who are going to be holding accountable the city and its action and then also probably challenging St. Louis County. And so for those who are not aware of our metropolitan area, in the late 1800s, the city and the county divorced. And so instead of like in Chicago, Chicago is inside of Cook County. St. Louis is its own county, and then St. Louis County is its own county. So, you know, we are hoping that for the future, what was done in St. Louis can spread to St. Louis County, and they would use the same process. They could follow St. Louis's example. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I ask if it's been a barrier to progress to have the world's two largest coal companies headquartered in St. Louis, what particular local assets have helped the pursuit of 100%, and what recommendations Andy and Reverend Burton have for other cities. You're listening to Local Energy Rules from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Hey, thanks for listening to Local Energy Rules. If you've made it this far, you're obviously a fan, and we could use your help for just two minutes. As you've probably noticed, we don't have any corporate sponsors or ads for any of our podcasts. The reason is that our mission at ILSR is to reinvigorate democracy by decentralizing economic power. Instead, we rely on you, our listeners. Your donations not only underwrite this podcast, but also help us produce all of the research and resources that we make available on our website 
and all of the technical assistance we provide to grassroots organizations. Every year, ILSR's small staff helps hundreds of communities challenge monopoly power directly and rebuild their local economies. So please take a minute and go to ILSR.org and click on the Donate button. And if making a donation isn't something you can do, please consider helping us in other ways. You can help other folks find this podcast by telling them about it or by giving it a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The more ratings from listeners like you, the more folks can find this podcast and ILSR's other podcasts, Community Broadband Bits, and Building Local Power. Thanks again for listening. Now, back to the program. I want to go back a little bit, Andy, to what you were talking about before. You mentioned Ameren is this the major utility serving St. Louis and that it's very reliant on coal for its electricity production. Also been referenced in some of the news stories around St. Louis's work on clean energy, but it's also headquarters to two major coal producers. Those come across as potentially really big barriers, and I'm interested to hear if there are particular ways in which that has presented a barrier to progress. But I'm also curious if there are particular assets that you feel like you have in St. Louis that you've been able to tap in terms of being able to make progress. Sure. So, yeah, St. Louis is headquarters to Peabody Coal and Arch Coal, and the two largest coal producers in the the world, and surprisingly has not been a barrier to this work. When the resolution to move to 100% clean energy was being considered in the fall of 2017, the the day before it was adopted, there was a push by Peabody to try to stop it, and they were not successful. In fact, resolution was adopted unanimously by the St. Louis Board of Aldermen. So I think that that kind of speaks to your second question about what are the assets that the city has. And the city has a very active and progressive citizenship. And folks are very interested and engaged in improving the city situation. And that is then reflected in its elected officials. And so fortunately, folks are seeing past the we're seeing past the past. I mean, cold is the past, and it is a declining source of energy around the world and and also here in Missouri, and, and people want to move beyond it. And I think that you know, that's one of the great things about St. Louis is that its, its residents are very engaged and, and really want to, to improve, improve the city for the health of, its, of, its, uh, of their fellow neighbors. Reverend Burton, anything that you think of being kind of a particular asset to St. Louis in this work on 100% renewable energy? Yeah, I would say what's a good asset to St. Louis is that we have a very good partners such as the Sierra Club, whom have been very intentional and very mindful to outreach and make sure voices such as African-American community and other communities are heard and making people aware about what's going on and inviting them to the table. We have the Missouri Coalition for the Environment. We have a number of partners whom together have been able to successfully lobby for this type of change. And then as well as continue to work in a context where the state government is is a challenge, but they've been able to, you know, make gains and at least get conversations and have doors open so that folks can hear what's going on and, and maybe push past partisanship to do what's best for the state. Sometimes that means just using different language in different contexts, but to continue to strive to reach for the goal. We also have good partners in our academic institutions, Washington University, 
has been a great partner in this resource. And then some other groups, I'm blanking out, but we have a Cortex. A lot of people are unaware that St. Louis has got its own sort of high-tech center going on other than Silicon Valley. So maybe it's Silicon Valley Midwest by the river. But there's partnerships within the tech community who are also adding to this conversation. So it's a diverse gathering of folks who are partnering and applying a, a good pressure as well as accountability on the steps that are being taken. And so it looks good going forward with this type of a team effort. I want to wrap up by asking each of you kind of what recommendations that you might have for folks in other cities based on your experience. I'll start with Andy and then kind of give you the last word, Reverend Burton. Specifically, what recommendations do you have for kind of how to approach this process in other for folks in other cities? Do you think St. Louis can achieve its goal and, and do you think it will be worth it? Andy, to you first. Sure. I, I think the most important thing for other cities to to consider is how inclusive are they being in terms of the process. It really is incredibly important to have a broad and diverse stakeholder group and to reach out to every corner of the community to get their input in this. And I do think the city can achieve its goal and and it certainly will be will be worth the effort. We're currently, as you mentioned earlier, we're in the sort of the middle of, of addressing more important issues and the other really important equity issues, including the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic and now the, the issue of racial justice around police brutality and police killings. And I think that the climate crisis is also an equity issue and, you know, we have to try to solve a lot of these issues on the basis of of the inequities that, that this country and, and and many cities have faced over the past you know hundreds of years in this country. It's just it's you know, we have a lot of a lot of issues that are based in inequity, and I think we have to keep that in mind as we tackle any of these issues, including the climate crisis. So I think that when we come out of this, we will have not only a more equitable society, but also a cleaner one and and one in which everyone can enjoy uh, public health. Reverend Burton, to you, what recommendation do you have based on your experience in St. Louis and and what do you see as what will make this worth it in the the, the end? Well, I would say that St. Louis has a, a reputation for those who are here of at times not being as progressive and on this issue, St. Louis has been very progressive, and I, I will have to credit a lot of that, again, to the partnerships. I do want to commend the Sierra Club and, and of Eastern Missouri as an example in that they reached out. They were very uh, persistent and intentional to make sure that voices from you know, other communities, because at times the movement for environmentalism can look pretty much well upper middle class and white. And so... They have been very good in not just reaching out, but also making sure that voices are included and that there's equity. Because many times that word is tossed around, but on the ground, if the voices aren't really welcome, and if they're not really integral to the conversation, then it's just no more than just politically correct banter. But I want to commend them because there's an example that can be done of making relationships. So before we got to this point, there had been an ongoing relationship that was reciprocal, that worked well, so that when it came time for the push for legislation, we, we were able to work together. It wasn't just, oh, let's talk to you about this particular issue. 
So for those who would be following in the footsteps, they would do the legwork of making relationships with other groups that maybe they didn't think about and, and then solidifying those relationships before they go forward with a bigger goal. And so I think that is a good example and that's a good way that St. Louis has demonstrated and that can be replicated and I think that will be appreciated and get to not only the goal of survival in reducing carbon emissions, as well as the transition from old energy to new energy, green energy, but doing so in a way that's different than before that all of us can be proud about and look forward to. Well, Reverend Burton and Andy, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. It's great to hear about the progress that you've been making in St. Louis and the example that you're setting for other cities who are setting out on this 100% renewable energy work. Uh, Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of our Voices of 100% podcast series with Reverend Roderick Burton of the New Northside Missionary Baptist Church and Andy Knott of Sierra Club's Beyond Coal Campaign, both of St. Louis, Missouri. On the show page, look for links to the City's Pathways Report, its Equity Indicators Report, and several other items mentioned in this interview. To learn about other cities pursuing 100% renewable energy, check out over a dozen additional Voices of 100% interviews, including leaders in Madison, Wisconsin, Cleveland, Ohio, or even Abita Springs, Louisiana. Check out the Sierra Club's Ready for 100 campaign page to see more cities and their clean energy goals. Back on the website of the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, you can also find the entire list of 100% cities on our community power map and click through an interactive community power toolkit for stories on how cities have advanced toward their goal. Tune back in to Local Energy Rules every two weeks to hear more powerful stories of communities taking on concentrated power to transform the energy system. And now to my daughter Meredith for our sign-off. Until next time, keep your energy local, and thanks for listening.